Hello, and welcome to Two Houses, a podcast about two people living with DID. I'm Elle. And I'm Dimitri. Oh boy, today... Well, first of all, I want to give a trigger warning, because we're going to be talking about sexual abuse. Yes. Which happens a lot to a lot of people, is definitely important to talk about, but please be mindful of whether this is going to trigger you. Yes. Okay, so one thing that's kind of interesting is it's only in the last few days that I have connected to sexual abuse that happened to us. Um, I have never held that before. I think I've spoken about the trauma that I have held and that I still do hold about um, kind of being under the thumb of somebody with antisocial personality disorder and being controlled and manipulated and whatnot. And I still hold that. That still affects me greatly, but I've done some work around it. I've made a start. But something has happened in the system where an amnesia wall seems to have gone down and things have shifted. And so now I, L, hold memories of the sexual abuse which used to be held by somebody else and no longer is. And we don't know exactly why that's happened, but it has. And um, I'm having a reaction to it. And, you know, oftentimes we just try to take it a day at a time, sort of let things unfold. Yeah, and it has only been a couple days. Yes. But I thought it was really important to make this podcast... Because I know that I am not alone in these experiences. So, one of the big things about sexual abuse is it it's a fearful experience in the moment. And it creates fear after the fact. No, it leaves you feeling paralyzed. And it continues to affect you psychologically. The more that time passes mm-hmm. it's fearful experiencing it and it's you don't trust people so you fear the rest of your life yeah it's it's <clears throat> intrusive on a very physical level it's intimate in a way you didn't want to have intimacy and it's this very intertwined experience with another person which is not consented to so Sexual experiences for a lot of people are very emotionally wrought. And I would argue that the same is true when it is sexual abuse, only it is not wanted. Yes. And, you know, usually people should be able to tell when it's not wanted. Yeah, you would think. Um... And you're forced into a situation you have to learn to be okay with because you can't change what happened. No, because it just has happened. And, you know, I'm just noticing that, you know, this topic is so difficult to talk about for a lot of people in our systems that, you know, dissociation is a common thing that will happen. Yeah, some pauses. Yes. I've got some notes, but I really wanted this to be more of like a conversation. 
But yeah, it's very affecting and for a lot of people, I think there can be a delayed reaction because in the moment it's survival, your brain goes into survival mode and you have to make it okay so you can keep going. You can't fall apart. But then it starts to seep in and um, some of what I was experiencing the other night was some really classic PTSD symptoms. I was having flashbacks. I was having hallucinations and I was having body memories. So flashbacks to the experience I was seeing it. I was also feeling it as though it was happening, which was very distressing. And I was hallucinating things in my surroundings. So my surroundings were a certain way and then I would look at them and they would change. Also, the person who was the perpetrator appeared in front of me and started walking toward me. And I think I actually jumped. Yes, you did. Because I was scared. It looked real to me. And these are classic PTSD symptoms. And from what I understand, um, PTSD symptoms like flashbacks, your brain isn't trying to punish you. No. Your brain is trying to integrate information to make it more um, accessible in a normal way. So it's kind of trying to make the memories like other memories in your mind. It's trying to make sense of it so it can move on. But it turns out to be a very traumatic experience. It's just when you have to relive horrible moments in your life in such a physical way so vivid because PTSD causes those body memories and it definitely is difficult to um, detach from just for you know a moment yeah and one of the grounding tools that I know is very well used is remind yourself of what's happening now Remind yourself of the year you're living in. Remind yourself of your name. Remind yourself of, you know, where you live now that may be different or things in your life that are not the same. And ground yourself in reality. And I have to say that my first ever experience the other night of having these flashbacks and these memories, I was not able to do that. I was in it. I don't have any practice with those those um, trigger, like, how to deal with triggers because it's never been a problem for me. So that's something I unfortunately need to learn now. Yes. But I was really in it. I couldn't no, see past it. It was happening. So there can be a delayed reaction Obviously, this for me is a very delayed reaction because these things happened a very long time ago. And yet they feel so vivid and true right now. And the thing is, we there's a couple of experiences I could talk about. But what I've really been referring to and right up until this point is the relationship that I was a part of um, with this person with antisocial personality disorder. And um, we really cared about this guy. And that's, that's tough because when you care about the person, 
you can make excuses for them. So the very first time that we were intimate in this way, it was rape. And we didn't know how to process that. We were very clear with him from the beginning of the relationship that we didn't want to have sex. Until marriage, Until right? marriage, exactly. <clears throat> and uh, we were clear about it, he understood it, and then this happened. And we didn't know what to think because we were so torn. We recognized on some level that something had just happened to us that we didn't want to happen and it was very intimate but at the same time the thought process of well he didn't he didn't mean to hurt me you know he loves me he would not do this on purpose or you know the this is my fault like I must have started this I must have made it so that he he had no other choice yes as if it's your fault that he was put in this position mm-hmm. and he couldn't stop himself so the blame's on me which I think is a very common thought process for people it's not just me that's had this experience well, like you said especially when you love that person mm-hmm. and this is somebody who you feel you know takes care of you and looks out for you and so naturally, you know, you're going to try to, you know, make sense out of it and sit with it as, as, as being okay. Well, and especially because this person was really the only person we felt actually loved us in our life. And it was a complicated love. It really was. There was a lot to it that was very dysfunctional, but... In our mind, he was the only person who loved us in a real way. So to challenge that in our brain seemed almost impossible. Because if not him, then who loved us? You know? Yes. So a part of it was that we felt like we must have really consented to this because we had chosen to be in a relationship with him. And that itself was consent. Whether we wanted this experience or not, we were in a relationship, so this happened, and we must have been okay with it. But our new understanding of consent is that, first of all, both parties say yes. Yes. They both say yes. And in saying yes, they understand what they're consenting to. Exactly. Both parties. Um, I also know that you can retract your consent at any time. Um, that's completely valid. You can be doing any number of things and you can say stop. And that person should stop. And uh, another part of it is that both parties are engaging in the activity. They both seem interested in it. Yes. And for this first experience that was rape... We were not reactive to it. We were kind of lifeless and silent. And that alone should have been a sign. But, you know, it wasn't. Yes, when you notice somebody is not actually present Mm -hmm. in the moment with you doing something intimate, then 
that is a, a red flag to pause and be like, are you alright? Yeah, and like, why would you want to be engaging with this person in this way if it seemed like they weren't interested? Like, what would compel you to want that? Um, so yeah, and a lot of times after this, because after this first experience, we decided, well, I guess we didn't want to have sex, but because it has happened, we should continue. So our relationship became sexual after that. And a lot of times Angel would front who would, I think we've mentioned before, be very lifeless and silent. And that should have been a red flag as well. Yes. Um, No, consent is definitely something to really, really learn about. And I think it's so important to recognize that you can retract the consent. Mm -hmm. Because growing up, you know, that's not really something that is taught to you. It's always like, you know, yes is yes forever. Yeah, so like yes to the relationship means yes to sex. And that's just, you know, I can absolutely, you know, relate to that where somebody's like, well, I'm in a relationship, so that means that I have to put out. Yeah, there's that pressure. Definitely. For us, you know, having our own sexual abuse... It carries a lot of anxiety, but you try to not show it because you're trying to be normal and act like sex isn't a problem. Right. Because how do you explain it to somebody that, you know, you're trying to have a normal relationship with? Yeah, and we had early sexual trauma um, that we were somewhat, some of us were aware of it and some of us weren't. But this person had seen us curl up into a ball and start crying over plenty of things that were lesser than sex. So he must have had some idea that this was traumatic for us. This entire, like, you know, idea was a lot for us. Again, signs that were being ignored. But we never said stop with him. I feel like we were trying to demonstrate it with our behavior, but we were scared to tell him to stop. Because we felt like he had the right, and we wanted to make him happy. And that's, that's so tough. Like what you said, like, you felt like he had the right. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think enough parents really, you know, talk to their kids about nobody has just a right to your body. Right. You know, and this is what you know, what you could know about consent. I just love that, you know, that retract your consent. At any point. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that was four years of Sometimes consent, sometimes not. And that causes a lot of scars. And um, I think it's interesting for us that I am sort of integrating that information in a way I never have. It's 
kind of really distressing for me, but also we're trying to look at it as maybe a sign of healing. I mean, maybe I can learn to deal with this in a way that nobody else has been able to yet. I do feel like I'm relatively strong. I'd say so. But strength has very little to do with it. It's about um, tools. And I think another aspect is that you're curious. Yeah, I'm trying to be open-minded to the PTSD symptoms and seeing what comes out of it and what I can learn from what my brain is telling me. And it's tough. It's really tough. So yeah, this is kind of a new experience for me. Um, not that sexual abuse is new to us, but processing it is. And sexual abuse can be a lifelong, you know, struggle to process. Yeah. It's, like you said, it's intrusive and it's also insidious. It really is. I've seen people who have had one sexual abuse situation happen in their life and they've developed PTSD and they need help for it. And I think that for those of us that had had repeated sexual trauma, it's the same deal. We need help for it, but it takes a little longer to unfold because there's so much to pull apart. And there's just so many moments, so many experiences. Yeah, it's like and you can't even pull them apart. I mean, especially when it feels like you have this combination of you know, consent, but also there are times that you weren't actually consenting. Mm -hmm. So there's a struggle to understand what you can actually believe. Mm -hmm. Like, well, if it was consent at this point in time, why wasn't it consent at other points? It gets convoluted in your brain. It really does. And there's still that part that wants to dismiss it and say he didn't mean it. And, you know, you tend to blame yourself. Yeah. Which I think is very natural. Like, I don't know. Yeah. We have we have childhood sexual abuse specifically early childhood, yeah. early childhood. and you know it's this person was somebody that we had to continue to see in our life for many many years. And we had brought up our sexual abuse to our family. They had had a family meeting where they'd asked this person, you know, did you do this? And naturally, he was going to say no. And they forced us to give him a hug say afterwards sorry. and say sorry. So for the, you know, the fuss. <clears throat> now... It was at that point where, you know, that fear really set. Like, all right, I'm actually alone. Mm -mm. You know, people think I've imagined this. People think I've created this at eight years old. And, and no one is going to help me. No one's going to help me. And so from that day forward, we had to pretend like everything was fine. So you sad. know, having to see this person and be terrified every single time. 
but act like you were fine. So, even if the abuse isn't continuing, like physically, it lingers. <clears throat> the effects of it linger for ages. It's like even if your head can't quite make sense of it, whether it's because you're young or because you're pushing it away, your body knows. Your body remembers that it was painful, that it was non-consensual, that it was trauma. And it will <clears throat> try to remind your brain of that at some point. There's no escaping it. That's what's so sad is like you didn't want this to happen, but there's no escape for you. Yes. Especially when you're, you know, so young. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do? There's nothing you can do. I know that there was a moment where we wanted to be able... Because our parents, all right, they had... We had talked to them in private about the abuse. And they said, you know, well, if it happens again, you know, leave a scratch or a mark or something so we know it's true. So... They threw us back into the lion's den, and of course it happened, and we were trying to be able to move to do this, but you know, you're terrified, you're paralysed in fear, and we couldn't. So for quite some time, you know, and even a little bit today, it's like, you know, if we had just been brave enough to leave a mark, an eight-year-old Leave some sort of mark. On a grown person. On a grown person. To prove yourself. Yes. It's just so sad. Like you had to prove what you were saying. And they threw you back into that. Yes. If it happens again. Yeah. It's horrible. Sexual abuse is fucked. It's really messed up. It's really messed up. And I guess since we're talking about this, this is a podcast about this, I can mention another time this happened with a so-called friend. And we were staying with him because we were visiting. And um, he, we thought, was trusted, you know? But he raped us. And the entire time, what was different with him than it was in the relationship was that we understood we had not consented to this. And we fought him and we said stop. And we didn't cease saying stop the entire time. And he didn't. But then afterward, he said, I probably shouldn't have done that. Just like our old boyfriend said after he raped us for the first time. It probably shouldn't have happened that way. And I was talking to you a little bit earlier about this. You know, sexual abuse, you can't just oopsies that. No. Like, what you've just done is irreparable. Exactly. So that's kind of an indicator to me that they knew while it was happening, that what they were doing was wrong. It's a sign to me that they were able to recognize it, and yet they did it anyway. And waited till the very end. Yeah, like, waited till they got off, 
to say like, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And that's just fuckery. Oh yeah, that'll just mess with your head. Because both those times, we tried to make them feel better. That's what's hard is that, you know, with that second experience, we said, no, probably not, shouldn't have happened. But then we kind of were really meek and changed the subject and tried to get him away from thinking about it. Because if he kept thinking about it, he might, I mean, this is the thought process we had is that he might kill us. He might kill us to keep us from saying something to somebody. Because... It happens. He was so strong. And we didn't know how strong he was until he was holding us down. But he was so strong, and the fear was so real that we believed he would take us out into the woods where he lived and kill us to make sure he never got in trouble. So yeah, we tried to keep it light with him and act like this, you know, yeah, maybe not. It shouldn't have happened. But you know what? Let's talk about Facebook. That's, yeah, that's quite a jump. That's what we talked about. Yes. And uh, we made excuses <clears throat> for our boyfriend as well. And, you know, we made him feel better afterwards when he was like, it shouldn't have happened that way. And we were like, we didn't say much, actually, but we... We didn't get mad at him. I think that was the best we could do. It's just kind of like hold him and hold his hand and act like everything was going to be okay. So yeah, that's messed up that you try to make the other person feel better. And it sounds like you went through that as well. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, it was more like you had to be like this moderate for the family. Mm -hmm. Like by not making a big deal and just kind of going around you know, accepting that your family doesn't want to do anything about it. Um, in order for the whole family to remain happy, you have to just stay quiet. Mm, it's so hard. You have to pretend like, oh yes, it was all imagined. Yeah. I, I just imagined this whole thing and I've forgotten about it. Yeah. And that was absolutely not the case. You know, and our mother, at one point, you know, Collie really handed it to her. This was when, in our adult, adult times. And, you know, we have set a boundary now. We have set this, if this person is there at any family thing, I will not be there. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen this person for many years now. And, you know, our mother had invited this person over and she was like, you know, he wants to take us all out to lunch. And Carly was like, I told you I never want to see him again. And she was like, even though it's just right now and it's fine, she's like, no, this is a person who molested me. This is a person who abused me. And she's like, I thought it was just one time. And Collie was like, no, actually, it was a couple other times. It was actually pretty continuous. Also, does it matter how many times it happened? It never should have happened. Like, it never should have happened, and it did. And the least you can do is honor my boundary. The very least she can do, because 
what she should do, in my opinion, is have nothing to do with this person. Oh, absolutely. Like, in my mind, how dare she? It's like she's choosing them over you. It's so messed up. And, you know, you get put in this place of, you know, do I let my abuser, you know, affect my relationship with my family? Mm-hmm. Or do I stand my ground? Or do I give in? Mm-hmm. And for us, we choose to stand our ground. And that's because our bigger picture of things is that we would rather have a family without him. And if these people are going to continue having him a part of their life, then we're going to be distant. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but that's how it goes. Well, you're you're protecting your sanity. Yes. I think that's really what it comes down to. We gave plenty of years to it. That's enough. Yes. So, yeah, this is insidious and it affects you your entire life. Which is not to say that PTSD doesn't have some... Like, people know about it. Therapists know how to deal with it. And it's not easy. It is about getting in contact with those feelings and then trying to integrate them into your life so that when you think about those events, it doesn't turn into a flashback. It just is an unpleasant memory. And how sad is that, that after being abused and hurt, the best case scenario is that you end up with bad memories. It's not right. You don't deserve it. No. And certainly if those people are still walking free and without any consequences, it feels so wrong. Because we have the consequences. Yes, we have the consequences. I mean, oftentimes we've thought about reporting our abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we'll go back to who's going to believe it. Mm-hmm. It happened so many years ago. Right. But also, isn't it appropriate and the right thing to do to help prevent this from happening ever again? But the truth is, is that we've spoken of it the family for many years we've never dropped it and they knew that we wouldn't drop it so we've warned them we've given everybody the warning and if they choose not to follow it it's unfortunate yeah and that's another thing about not wanting them Like, in that moment, like, feeling bad for getting them in trouble is that at the time that our friend raped us, he was in university. And we told our other friend what had happened. And she said, you know, if you speak up, he's going to get expelled instantly. He's going to get expelled for this because, you know, he abused, sexually abused a person on campus. And, uh, so we took that into our brain and we thought, well, I can't do that to him. That's messed up. You can't mess up his future. No, I can't mess up his future just because he, you know, did this one thing. I wouldn't do that to him, even though he would do something more monstrous to me. And affect your future. Forever. 
like affect your life forever. Yeah. So yeah, it's another kind of defending the abuser. But I suppose the point we want to end on is that there is help. Yes. There are strategies that help this. There are techniques like EMDR is one. Um where they have you relive the memory while you kind of watch a light or hold little buzzers and it tries to integrate the memory from one side of the brain to the other. Talk therapy. Um, many different ways that people have learned how to treat PTSD over the years. And it can be really effective. So it's not like all is lost. No. But seeking help is so important. Because it doesn't go away on its own. No. And you may feel, you know, you may feel alone in the things that you're feeling. And whether or not you feel like this deep connection to your abuser or not, all of it is valid. Mm. It is absolutely something that people of sexual abuse experience. Mm -hmm. And... So nothing to be ashamed of. There can be really complex feelings. Yes. And all of it is normal. And I think that's a really good point to kind of end on. All of these feelings are valid after you've been sexually abused. And a therapist will understand you. Yes. And not only that, but there are support groups that will understand you. And it's unfortunate that this happens to so many people, but the fact that it does means that you're not alone. And we'll all get through this. Yeah. So, yes, this was a very intense topic to discuss, but we hope that you don't feel alone if you have had sexual abuse. Yeah, and that... You don't need to feel ashamed because somebody else hurt you. Exactly. So, yeah. on that note. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs>